Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for a hard morning, dark morning, wet morning, morning without electricity, in which you've caused us to evaluate whether church is worth attending. Father, thank you that you've brought us here. Thank you for the faithfulness that we see in in many people who come despite the hesitation. Father, thank you that you have placed inside of us a real hunger and thirst for the truth. God, your word is truth. And if there is to be a sanctified people in the world, they will be made holy by your word. We remember the very words of our Lord and Savior praying in the garden. Father, we ask today that moving through the book of Exodus and the Exodus story and your people would speak to us today. And that we would be a faithful people of God, an adopted children, a royal priesthood, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, that we would be that very thing who hold high our banner of forgiven of our sins with a reigning king, the Lord Jesus. And we would be his. And so the world would know you. God, we ask for that through the word today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. We are back to the book of Exodus. It's good to be there. We've now been back from Ecuador. My family has for uh, eight days. We are recovered, refreshed, rested. We feel good. It's good to be with you all. I I really do what I I just prayed. I mean that. Thank you all so very much uh, for being here despite the weather. I understand that many of you all are here today without electricity And that's pretty impressive. I don't know if you used uh, a window for light or a candle or a flashlight, but you found a way to brush your teeth. Well, I'm assuming you found a way to brush your teeth and um, and you made it here. And I appreciate that. Uh, It's good to be here. Um, It it is. We have we have learned through the, the teaching of the word that church is not let me hurry up and get in here, get something for me and get out. Church is something that we are committed to each other, bonded together. I'm here for your sake. You're here for my sake. We are here for each other's sake. And in a commitment on a uh, power outage, stormy type night uh, models that and truly does bless those around you. Uh, so I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I do want to say last night we were driving home about 10 o'clock and I think it was about the best lightning show I have ever seen in my life. If you were outside or looking out the window or awake or anything last night, it was incredible. I mean, it was it was one of those things where I was like, look, kids, it's awesome. Best I've ever seen. Let's hurry and get home. We need to get inside the house. We need to be safe. Look at that one. And it was so awesome, but it was scary at the same time. Uh, praise God. He, he brought us through the night. Um, our power didn't go off, so I'm shaved, refreshed, brushed teeth, shower, everything. Uh, so I feel good, but glad for y'all to be here and looking forward to getting into the word today. I'm looking forward to the sports seasons about to start. Uh, football starts here in just a few weeks and then basketball will be coming. And I'm really excited because UofL will be in the ACC this year. And that means that North Carolina, who I pull for, is coming to Louisville. Uh, and I'm hoping that somehow somebody, you all, friends, somewhere is going to find tickets for me to be able to go to that game. But uh, I do. I love going to especially the Yum Center. I've never been to Rupp. Uh, I would love to go to Rupp, but I love going to the Yum Center. And the reason why I like going to these places it's because something that's very, very, very significant about an arena, a successful arena, is that they have things hanging from the rafters. We call those banners. And when you start talking with pride, really well, it comes down to is who hangs banners, you might say. A banner is what you hang from the ceiling of your arena when you have won a championship. If you win a conference championship, you'll hang a banner up. You win a national championship, you'll hang a banner up. And sometimes if you have like an All-American, you'll hang a banner up for them. But uh, I remember I got to go to one U of L game this past year. And I remember once I sat down, I looked up and I wanted to see that banner from the 2013 national champions, Louisville Cardinals, uh, to see that banner up there. And that was that was cool to see that banner hanging from there. In our passage today in Exodus, Moses declares, the Lord is my banner. What a statement. 
See, we know what banners are. If you if you live in Kentucky and you know Kentucky basketball and Louisville basketball, we know what banners are. This is the thing where we're going to say, hey, I want everybody to see this big, huge, giant thing hanging that displays a message. It, it lets you know who we are. This is Rupp Arena. We are the Kentucky Wildcats. We have won however many uh, national championships, and we want everybody who steps foot in this building to know it and not forget it. At Louisville, it's the same way. You get those banners up right away. They usually do at the beginning of the next season. But these banners say we're great. We won it last year. We have won championships. Our, our program is good. And, and the significance of a banner is, is very special. Very special. We don't think it's a wrong. We don't think it's a haughty. We don't think it's a, uh, an arrogant boasting or bragging. It's saying, hey, we worked hard. We put in the work and we won. And here's the banner to show. We want everybody to know it. Banners are nice. And so in the book of Exodus, as they're traveling in literally in the Exodus through the desert, through the wilderness, for Moses to declare, God is my banner, it speaks to us. What does he mean? Could it be that that for for Moses, that the only thing he has to boast about or if you're going to know anything about him, it is this the banner that God is my salvation, that God is my life. That God is my identity? If you were going to hang up one banner, if we had something that was able to display one single focal message for you and your life and where you are and where you come from and what you do and how you exist and where you find meaning in life, what would your banner be? For Moses, it is the Lord is my banner. Read with me, if you will, at Exodus chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel. Oh, by the way, this is page 64. If you don't have a Bible with you, use the Pew Bible there in front of you. It's page 64 on the Pew Bible right there in front of you. If you don't have one with you. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water. For the people to drink. I want to ask three questions today. And the first one that I want to I want to ask is, what do you do when you can't handle the people around you? What do you do when you can't handle the people around you? For some of you, when I ask that question, you think that that sounds like my job. And for some of you, when I ask that question, you think that sounds like my household. And for some of you, when I ask that question, it sounds like that. That sounds like my team or my friends or or something. But what do you do when you can't handle the people around you? Our setting here is that they're still traveling. If you don't remember in the book of Exodus, they were slaves in Egypt for a long time. The, the head of, of Egypt, Pharaoh, uh, was a, a, a rude, tough, oppressive leader over them. And they were in slavery. God, through the ten plagues, sets them free. And now they are wandering to the promised land. They are traveling by the leadership of God to the promised land. And that at times is difficult. That's where we pick up now. And as they are going, they get to a place camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. And I don't know if you've ever gone without water before, but thirst can really wear you out, really uh, drag you down and really cause you to be grumpy. Uh, and if you know anything about the people of Israel, they get grumpy really quickly. They are irritable people and they will start complaining as we're about to see. Verse two, therefore, as you could have guessed, they quarreled with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. Now, when I read quarrel, I mean that they were going. It sounds to me like quarreling is going back and forth. That's not what's happening. It doesn't sound like what's happening there. I think quarreling is kind of a bad choice. Let's just say that they were complaining and grumbling, like we said last week. Uh, the people were quarreling with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And see, this is not the first time that we've seen this. If you will look back to chapter 16, verse eight, they were grumbling. Chapter 16, verse eight, they were grumbling. And Moses said. 
when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. See, Moses laid that out last week. And, and that was a point that I told you is that when you are a grumbling person, a complaining person, an ungrateful, unthank, unthank, uh, not thankful person, uh, when you are that type of way grumbling, it's really not an issue with your circumstances. I mean, that's kind of lending toward it, but it is really more of an issue with God. You need to realize that. Okay, it's kind of become cool today to be a complainer and to be somebody who's grouchy and and always uh, making things seem worse than they are. But I want you to know that's a sign of a lack of faith. That is not a characteristic of the godly. That's a characteristic of the ungodly. And Moses called him out really quickly. He didn't say stop complaining. He said, your complaints aren't against me. Stop acting like they are. I'm just working for God. Your complaints are against God. And if you care about God or love God, that matters to you. So here at chapter 17, Moses quickly gets right back to it. They're they're complaining. Give us some water to drink. And Moses says it again. Why are you quarreling with me? Why do you test the Lord? He makes a statement there that takes a little bit further. Testing the Lord. I want to ask you if you realize that complaining against God is testing God. I want to ask if sometimes you doubt that God's really for you. I want to ask if sometimes you realize or are aware that sometimes God has you in this position for a purpose, that God is able to provide out of that situation. And do you trust that? Moses labels it a test. If somebody tells me that I'm testing God, then I think I would be uh, set back, humbled or convicted. Like, hey, I don't want to test God. We don't need to test God. You test somebody to see if they're able. Right. In school, when a teacher gives a test, she's wanting to see if you've learned what you're supposed to learn. We don't need to test God. He should never be doubted. He's always sufficient. He's always able. He is always good. He's always perfect. We never need to test him. God doesn't take tests. He is the standard. Let me remind you of that. God doesn't take tests. He is the standard. Why would you test him? This is the question that Moses asked them. Why are you testing God? Commentator Stewart speaks directly to this. I think it's fascinating. He says, testing God, listen to this. This is going to speak to you and me. Testing God always involves some degree of doubt about whether or not one's present circumstances are all that one deserves. We test God because we think we deserve better than what God's giving us. How sad and arrogant is that? He goes on to say, and whether or not God could or should have done a better job of providing one's needs. Would we be so arrogant to think that we know better than God what we need? Would we be so arrogant to complain and grumble and therefore accuse God that he should have done a better job with us? I hope not. This is what Stuart gets at. Moses says to them, why are you testing God? Verse three. But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now, again, they are exaggerating. I said this last week that oftentimes grumbling leads to exaggeration. We often say this is the worst ever. And that's what they're doing here. They think that they're about to die. Now, maybe they are. If you've ever been really thirsty, it can get at you. If you've ever gone a long time without water, you will quickly pass out. You'll get dizzy. You'll get lightheaded. You need to drink a lot of water. You'll get nauseous. They are thirsty here and now they are upset. Now they're complaining to Moses. Moses says it's against God. But they're saying, why? Why are we even in this position? Why did you bring us out here? You're going to kill us. You're going to kill our children. You're going to kill our livestock and all by thirst. I asked the question today, what do you do when you can't handle the people around you? Here's why. Look at verse four. Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? Can't take it anymore. Don't like them anymore. Don't know what to do with them. I can't handle them. He says they are the end of verse four. They are almost ready to stone me. Now, if you are a a group of about a million people. And you're all so thirsty, you think you're about to die. Do you think killing your leader would be the best option to survive? I don't think so. That's kind of how it goes when you get upset, right? You start doing things you shouldn't be doing. How many times of your life have you been down and out, upset, frustrated, hating the way life's going, 
And so you start doing things that you know aren't the answer, but that's what you're doing. And then when things come uh, full circle and they get better and things settle out a little bit, you look back and you say, yeah, I know, I shouldn't have done that. I mean, the reason why I was because I was mad. The reason why I was because I was tired. The reason why I was because I was grumpy. The reason why I was because I was angry, right? Well, this is a lesson for us to see this. Let's know who we are. Let's know how we're going to react. Let's know what we need to do so that when we get in this position... If we don't like it, we're thirsty, we don't know what to do, if we don't do something stupid like kill our leader, let's don't do something stupid like pass blame, let's, do, let's don't do something like that. But my question is, what is Moses doing here? What do you do when you can't handle the people around you? This seems to be the situation that Moses is in. They don't have water. Moses, under the leadership of God, is leading them. They're complaining a lot. Now they're crying out, thinking that they're going to die. And Moses says, crying to God now, what can I do? Now, Desiring God writes a neat article here on leadership and spiritual leadership. And they they paint a picture of how Moses really had it tough leading these people. Let me give you a couple examples. Exodus chapter four. At first, the Israelites rallied behind him. But when Pharaoh increased their work, they lost faith in Exodus five and were already not listening to Moses. Then after the Passover, Moses was their hero. Exodus twelve. But that quickly evaporated on the seashore when Pharaoh's army showed up. You remember that, Exodus 14. Then the sea opened up for them and closed on the Egyptians. And Moses was the best leader ever, Exodus 14. That is, until they came to Marah and found that the bitter water was there. They couldn't drink it, Exodus 15 again. But God sweetened the water and that was great until they got hungry. Then Moses took a serious dive in the poles, Exodus chapter 16. Then manna fell, like last week, and that was marvelous until they got thirsty again, like today, and they were ready to stone Moses. Do you see this? Do you see how they loved Moses and they hated Moses? They loved Moses and they hated Moses. And the people were very much so a worldly, selfish people of what are you doing for me? And if you're going to make my life better, then you're a great leader, Moses. The best leader. I'm so glad God brought you into my life. But if Moses was not able to make their lives better right away, then they were mad at Moses. Now, Moses was smart and said, hey, it's not really me. It's God. So don't be happy with me or upset with me. This is God that's leading you and you're grumbling against him. But the point of the article is that spiritual leadership is often like that. Okay. What do you do when those are your people? What do you do when your your family doesn't like you? What do you do when the people upset you and when the people around you at work are just hard to get along with? What do you do? I was reading the paper this week and I saw the little Ask Billy Graham question. That was the very question on Ask Billy Graham from this week. It said, uh, at work, my boss is nothing but rude and crude to me. Billy, what should I do about it? How should I handle it? When your boss seems to be rude and crude and unfair to you, what should you do? That's the question. What do you do when you feel like you can't handle the people around you? Here's what I say. You turn to the Lord. You don't try to handle it on your own. You don't start, start first to see how you can fix it. You turn to the Lord. Look at verse four. Verse three has their grumbling questions. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children, our livestock with thirst? Verse four. So Moses cried to the Lord. Now, if you're like me, there are a lot of areas in your life that you wish were different. We don't necessarily need to say better. But there are a lot of areas in your life that you wish were different, maybe better. I want to ask you in all reality. Have you cried to the Lord about it? Have you been on your knees? Has he heard about it? Specifically in the area of people in your life that you can't handle. Maybe the issue is your parents. That happens a lot. Maybe the issue is your in-laws. Maybe the issue is truly your co-workers or like I read in the paper, your boss. Has that been dealt with with God? Have you cast all your burdens on him because he cares for you? Have you been the one who has beat and beat and beat and beat and beat on the door so that the person inside the house has to answer it? Have you cried to the Lord about it? Can you picture 
a great leader, leader of a million. And the people come and they start complaining to Moses. Can you see? It looks like Moses would have would have stuck his chest out and told them of his rank, told them who he's got behind him and said, it's either my way or the highway. If y'all don't want to deal with y'all, get out of here. I don't care. We got a million more of y'all coming right behind you. Get on out of here with that sorry attitude. It seems like what would have happened today. But Moses goes to the Lord. Now, the Bible doesn't teach us that Moses was this weak, soft leader that didn't know what he was doing. He didn't really know how to lead people. So it was just stay in the closet and pray. Not at all. The Bible says he's a strong man. The Bible says he's just strong even to the end. The Bible says that he's the one that God chose, did awesome things. Killed a man with his bare hands because he was beating up another man. What do you think about that? But when he got to a situation in life where there were people around him that he couldn't handle, he prayed. And it doesn't just say he prayed, it says he cried out to the Lord. Well, there's a whole lot of things in my mind right now that I want to cry out to the Lord for. And so I'm inviting you to sign up for one hour, August 8th or 9th, to cry to the Lord about it. That God will be saving people. That God will be changing lives. If there's something in your life, someone in your life you can't handle, I invite you to cry out to the Lord about it like Moses did. Number two, what do you do when you don't have what you need? What do you do when you don't have what you need? Look at verse five. The Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Now, you remember that they don't have water. So that's the issue here. They're complaining because they don't have water. They're traveling. You're doing a lot of hiking without water. You're quickly going to wear out, get dehydrated, get sick. Verse six. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. You see that? There was not a way for Moses to fix their situation. Now, if he knows that and he's a good leader, that's why he prayed. The ability to lead them and fix all their problems is not in me. This is spiritual leadership. So I don't need to try to fix all their problems. I can't do it. I need to pray, Moses says. And so he does. But then, as soon as he prays, notice, as soon as he cries out to the Lord, God says, okay, what do I do? Go ahead, get in front, take the stick. I'll lead you to the rock. And I'm going to provide rock or water out of the rock. Now, look back at verse six. I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. You shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. Now, it goes without saying that God's about to give what they need. The very thing that the people think that they need, the very thing that they're thirsting for, the thing that's causing them to be grumpy, God's about to supply it. Okay? The Bible teaches us over and over again that whatever you think you need, God has it. He has it. He has it. He has it. We have this little thing at our house where it's just a little, it's called uh, your daily bread. It sits on the table. It's just a little box this big and you pull it out. It's just one little Bible verse. And we read that one little Bible verse before we pray at dinner each night. Just a little thought. And I loved it this week when I pulled out of there. Matthew six twenty eight. And here's what it said. And your God knows that you have need of all these things. When you're a man with a wife that's young, a young man. And four children, you know, you constantly live with all of these things that I need, that I'm aware of, that I need. Need in my own self, skills I need, energy, strength I need. And the Bible tells me that God knows what I need. I want to tell you all that as a believer in Jesus, my soul finds rest. My soul finds rest knowing God knows what I need. Can you see today from this passage 
That when the people of Israel are grumbling and complaining yet again. In chapter 15, when Troy preached, they're complaining because they don't have water. In chapter 16, when I preached last week, they're complaining because they don't have food. God provided the water then. God provided the food two different ways last week. Bread, manna in the morning, quail in the evening. And then today it's water again. Do you not know by now God knows what we need? He can give it. You're here today, I'm sure. And you need something. Will you trust God knows that you need it? He knows. God knows that you need it. He says, strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. Verse 7. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? What do you do when you don't have what you need? What we see happening here with Moses is him turning to the Lord, knowing the Lord is the provider. What is it that you don't have and you think you need? Have you trusted that the Lord knows that and that he will give it? It's interesting here that it says that God leads them to the rock and God strikes the rock and they will drink from the rock. You know, you don't have to turn there, but take note of first Corinthians chapter 10. Listen to this. First Corinthians chapter 10, when 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 Paul writes. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the seas. Talking about the people of Israel in the Exodus. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate, listen, the same spiritual food. Food provided by God. And all drank, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, the same spiritual drink. Drink provided by God. Well, what was that drink? Exodus 17 For they drank, listen, from the spiritual rock, Paul says to the Corinthian church. And the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Does everybody see that, hear that? First Corinthians 10 verse 4, the rock was Christ. Something bigger going on here at Exodus. When you and I think we know what we need, we don't always know what we need. Physically, daily, circumstances, we're not always sure what we exactly need. But what the Bible wants us to know is that we need God. We need God. I've gotten to where I say it at every funeral I do now. And y'all know I do a lot of funerals. You often hear people say, what's the comfort during this time? And some people like to say that life's too short. You need to be happy. And I've said, you know, that works if we've got little problems. That works on small things. If you're stressed or running late or something like that. Life's too short. Cheer up. When your heart's devastated and you've just lost a loved one and you're feeling tragedy. The most insensitive thing I could say to you is life's too short and you need to just cheer up. What a jerk would say that. What comfort is there? God. The boys have been re-memorizing the Great Commission. They forgot it already. The very end of the Great Commission says, and remember, I am with you always. And I don't know what it is that you need. If you're like me, you're confused about knowing what you need. There's a reason why God doesn't give us what we think we need. But the Bible wants us to know in this passage right here, we need Jesus. I was so encouraged this week after spending time with one of you all 
He wrote a text to me that says, I need Jesus. I rejoiced thinking, yes, you do. So do I. That's the answer. What do you do when you don't have what you need? You turn to the Lord. Moses here obeys the Lord, turns to the Lord by looking to the Lord, listening to the Lord, praying to the Lord, and then listening, obeying what God says. He follows him. He goes where he says to go. He gets there. He strikes the rock and they they drank. Now, look at verse seven. Moses says that he names it that because of the quarreling. And he names it that because of the quarreling, because they test the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? And, you know, we talk like this these days, too. The, The young people got where they say the phrase or not. Which means, or not. Which is so rude and so wrong. But here they're asking, is God here or not? They know that God's here. You with us, God, or not? And it's so wrong. They know that God is there. This is, this is like me coming home from work, and it's, it's 5.30, and I'm starving because I'm been out and about all day and I'm hungry and I'm, I'm, you know, I was hoping we were eating at 5.30 and I get there and Val's in the kitchen and the stove's going and there's bread in the oven and there's all this going on and Carolyn needs a diaper change and the boys are running around fighting each other and all this is going on and she's clearly cooking in the kitchen and me coming in and going, man, I'm hungry. Are we going to eat or not? That seems so real. I mean, y'all talk like that. I talk like that. That's a very real situation. But as an illustration right now, is that not the rudest thing I could have said? To which she turns around and slaps me and says, don't you see I'm cooking? Y'all vow, vow would never do that. But she should, right? That's so rude. And we didn't hear them say that necessarily, but Moses says that's what their quarreling was. Listen, the next time that you're a complaining Christian, the next time you're whining and grumbling because life's not going the way you wanted it to, or because God's not providing for you as much as you expect Him to, or you know better than God what you need, hear the words of Moses here when he says, you were asking, is God really with me? Folks, God is with all those who believe in Jesus. If you will trust in Christ, you can rest in God with us. Do you remember the name of Jesus? The many at the birth, Emmanuel. We love that name, Emmanuel, at the birth of Christ at Christmas time. Emmanuel, which means, Matthew chapter 1, God with us. Do you remember the promise that I will never leave you or forsake you? You know that the Bible teaches us that once God saves somebody, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them and he will never, ever, ever leave them. I am with you always. What do you do when you don't have what you need? You turn to the Lord. You listen to the Lord. You obey the Lord. Like they did. Thirdly, lastly, what do you do when you're being attacked? Passage turns here. And for the first time in the Bible, first time in the Old Testament, the people of God go to war. We're about to see a lot. If we keep going through the Old Testament, there's a lot of Old Testament war, battle, fighting that's going to happen. But this is the very first time the Amalekites are coming to attack the people of Israel in chapter 16. What do you do when you're being attacked? Read with me. Verse eight. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, everybody see that right there? Joshua is one of the the best people in the Bible. We love him. A warrior, a young man, strong, courageous leader through and through. This is the very first place he's mentioned. Very first place in the Bible that Joshua is mentioned. First time that we find Joshua in the Bible. He's about to become a hero of all of ours. There's a book in the Bible uh, after Deuteronomy called Joshua. 
Joshua is a hero of ours. And this is the very, very first mention. He's a young man here at the time, but they're being attacked. Amalek is coming and fighting Israel. And so Moses said to Joshua, now, I don't want to chase a rabbit too far here and go out on a tangent. But if you're the leader of a huge nation, over a million people, the people of Israel, and somebody's coming to attack you, who's your go to man? Now, I don't necessarily mean fighting. Maybe you need one. Maybe you've got enough people trying to attack you physically that you need a big guy to have your back. I'll never forget when I was playing high school basketball, had a black guy on my team, actually lived with me and my family for a year. Uh, awesome guy. His name is Lavelle. If he could play point guard and I could play shooting guard, if he couldn't, and I had to play point. Neat, neat relationship. And I remember one time there were some people following us in the cars. I was taking to him to where he goes and he caught up his brother and I had never meet his, met his brother yet. And this guy that was no joke, probably six, seven, three hundred and fifty pounds, came up to our car and said, who, who is it? And all of a sudden, I went from like terrified as can be, me and little Lavelle worrying about whose car behind us, to thinking, yeah, let me show you where they're at. Because this go-to guy made it all right. Now, that's for physically fighting. I don't physically fight. But what about when you need a prayer? I remember... In Ecuador, we had a couple of situations come up. And even right then, I, I pulled out my phone then and went straight to a couple of you all. Who's your go-to person? Isn't it awesome to think that Moses, this great leader, is getting attacked? Oh no, what are we going to do? Joshua. I want to ask you, who's your go-to guy? And then I want to ask you for a second, are you walking with the Lord enough that you could be somebody's go-to guy? Are you the one that somebody can count on for prayer? When somebody calls you and says, I need you to pray, that you actually pray. When somebody says, hey, I need a ride, you actually will stop what you're doing and give them a ride. I love it that Joshua was the go-to guy here, but I don't want to spend too much time on that. He says, so verse 9, so Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now, this is interesting. Notice, they haven't fought yet, and they've only got 24 hours to throw an army together. Hey, Joshua, go get us an army together. Choose the men. Tomorrow, it's going down. How do you choose an army that quickly? No training? What are they going to do? What weapons are they going to use? They've been slaves in Egypt. They didn't have any weapons there. And now they've been traveling through the desert, weak with no food and weak with no water. What weapons do they have, if any? If they do have any, they probably made them out of sticks. Probably not that good of weaponry. And they're not, uh, there's not a lot of them. How are they going to fight? Well, that sets up the context. Verse 10, or, or he says, tomorrow... Uh, I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. So this, this battle is going back and forth. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands on one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And verse 13 says, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. God's people won. Joshua as the leader won. The people of Israel won. The Amalekites lost. God had done it. We have victory here. The very first battle of the people of Israel is a victorious one. Well, how did it happen? Is it because Joshua was such a great leader and the people fought so well? No. How did it happen? It happened because when they were attacked, they turned to God, trusted in God, believed in God, obeyed God, and God fought for them. Do you hear that? How? Moses was to go in the front. Oh, by the way, this is the very first time in the Bible where Moses says he's going to do something with the stick without God telling him to. Up until this point, every time God has said, Moses, take the staff and do this. This is the first time that Moses just says, I need the stick. In other words, Moses is starting to understand that a trusting in the sovereignty of God, trusting in the shepherding of God and the, and the leading of God and the goodness of God over us, his people, is where our refuge is. The name of the Lord, Proverbs tells us, is a strong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous man runs into it and he's safe. In other words, you're safe in God. Like David told Goliath, it doesn't matter who's the biggest and the strongest. It matters who is the one that trusts in God. 
Now, if God's fighting for me, Goliath, you might be way bigger than me, but I'm going to beat you because God's fighting for me. Moses gets there with the staff, and as long as the staff is raised in the air, Israel is winning. But he gets tired. You ever tried to hold your hands up for a long time? That's hard. You remember being in school and you raise your hand, the teacher doesn't call on you, the next thing you're doing, you're like this. Everybody's done that in school before. You can't hold your hand up for too long, you've got to prop it up with this hand. Well, Moses is doing this, and as long as the staff is raised, the people of Israel are winning the fight, but he can't keep doing it. So here comes Aaron and her, and they're like, here, sit down, Moses. So the next thing you know, Moses is sitting down like this, and they're on each side holding up like this. And as long as Moses is keeping that rod above his head, they win. And they find a way to do it. You've got one man holding up this side, one man holding up this side. The rod's there, and they win. So what do you think they know? You think they got down and said, you did it, Moses. You did it, Josh. You think they said that? No. Thank God for his provision, for his sovereignty. We weren't going to beat the Amalekites. They were beating us. All it took was my weary arms to drop and we were losing to those guys. But God did it. What do you do when you're being attacked? You let the Lord fight for you. I want to ask you if you are learning in your life to let your, 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 your manner of life to be driven by what God says to do. We are not to be a people that when things are right, we obey God. But when things are difficult, we take it into our own hands. That will not lead us to the right place. That will lead us further away from God. Some of you are experiencing that right now. When somebody is attacking us, when it looks like we're in the middle of a battle or a fight or hardship or difficulty or strife, the answer is not, well, let me step away from God's ways for a minute. Get myself together. Once this fight's over, this attack's over, I'll get back to God's ways. No. Surrender it all. Bow yourself down. Cry out to the Lord. Learn to listen to him. What is his way? And watch him fight for you. He will work this situation out. I love the phrase, if he brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. That's what we need to be believing. What do you do when you're being attacked? So we see that they won here, but now look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. Hey, listen, y'all, we're reading it. We're reading the story. That God told him to write down for us. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is the Word of God, the Pentateuch, the Law. The first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. And God tells him to right here. In other words, hey, Moses, it's really starting to take off now. I'm doing a lot of stuff through you. Oh, you got battles and wars to write about now. Joshua's stepping up as the next leader. Write this stuff down so you can tell this to Joshua. You can tell this to the coming generations. Write this down. Then he says, I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. In other words, y'all defeated them. We defeated them. The Israelites, led by God, the provision and safety of God are okay. Now listen. Can we hear a little truth through here? It doesn't matter who or what or how you're being attacked if you're trusting in God. It doesn't matter who or what or how you're being attacked if you're trusting in God. Now, if you don't want to trust in God, then be ready to be attacked and to lose, honestly. We see that happening a lot in the world today. People are losing at life because they're being attacked by whoever or whatever or however. And they don't want to surrender and trust in God. But even here, a stronger army is attacking them. They held up the staff. They're safe. Now look at verse 15. And so... Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Can you imagine, I don't know, heading back to the camp of the millions? Moses could have taken a lot of credit, couldn't he? They didn't really know I mean, a fight still went down. There were still men throwing punches. There were still spears being stabbed. I mean, a war happened. 
Moses up on the mountain, all he had was the rod, all the stick. It's not like God actually come down and knocked people out. God just enabled them to win. Moses could have came down off the mountain and said, we did it, guys. I'm the best leader y'all have ever had in this country. You'll never forget me. Let's put up a monument for me, a big statue of Moses. Even put the stick over it. But don't put those guys' hands under my arms. I got weary. I mean, maybe you put it like this. I did it with one hand the whole time. Strong, tough. As long as I'm leading this nation, we're never going to lose. We killed the Amalekites. They're blotted out of here. He could have taken credit for it for being such a great leader. Could have put Joshua up there with him. Could have been a statue, a monument of Moses and Joshua. Great leaders, conquerors, victorious. We defeated the Amalekites. Look at us. We're great. As long as 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 I'm the leader of this nation, y'all are in good hands. Nothing like that. Moses builds an altar. And he named it. God is my banner. Why God is my banner? Because look what he says next. A hand upon the throne of the Lord. What's a throne where a reigning king sits? My hand is upon it. I want to ask you today if your hand is upon the throne of God as your king. And if there's a banner over you. I want to ask you if in the middle of an attack, in the middle of an attack, you think, oh, I need my hand on the throne. I need to make sure my banner says Jesus. Or in the middle of an attack, you start thinking, oh, you don't want to mess with Josh. Uh-uh. You don't want to do that. i dealt with people like that before. See how bad that sounds in the midst of lordship of Jesus? What's your banner? Does your life say... God will take care of me. Does your life model my sins are forgiven? Does the grace that flows out of you and the forgiveness that is modeled by your life display that God has been that way to you? Lecrae in his last CD has a song called Tell the World. And in the song Tell the World, he says, I want to tell the world everywhere I go. I want to tell the world. And then he says this. I'm a billboard. It's great imagery. We drive down the road, we see billboards all the time, right? A billboard is this huge, gigantic, expensive sign on the side of the highway that you can't miss telling you something. And Lecrae says, I am a billboard of what the grace of God can do in somebody's life. Saving me, changing me, forgiving me, building me up, making me into somebody who lives for God. I'm a billboard. Unbelievable that in the midst of an attack, the first ever, ba- first ever battle for the people of Israel, the Amalekites are there and they're attacking. Moses is the leader. He gets there with the staff. They hold it up and they win. They're victorious. They were losing. They win. They're victorious. What does Moses do? He builds an altar and says, the Lord is my banner. Make no mistake about it. Don't for a second think that me, Moses, that I, Moses, am the key to this success. Don't think for a second that it is I, me, and the reason why Joshua is so special. Don't think for a second that the reason why the Malachites are are dying and losing is because we are so great. No, God. He goes before us. He stands behind. He fights for me. He takes care of me. When I didn't have any food and I was whining, He provided food. When I didn't have any water and I was about to die and they were about to stone me, God provided. When when I couldn't handle the people, I cried out to Him. When I didn't have what I need, I cried out to Him and I trusted Him. When I was being attacked, He fought for me. Do you have a testimony like that? Who knows what tomorrow will bring, honestly? Could be joy and celebration, could be tragedy for us, could be Jesus returning, could be loneliness, could be hardship. But could our banner say, God's got me. Worthy is the land that is slain. Mighty to save is the Lord Jesus. We were in Ecuador just last week. Uh, some of Al's cousins have some children. We put our children with their children, cousins playing together. We went to this little place called uh, Play Zone. It's kind of like a uh, Chuck E. Cheese type thing in Ecuador. And they were playing and, you know, just all the normal little games that kids like to play. But then they had this one. 
It took up a huge whole chunk of the uh, of the store. Big display. We, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, and what you did, 12 people could play at a time. You sat down and it was kind of like a ski ball. You know what ski ball is where you roll the ball and you had to get it in one, two or three. And there's lots of holes. And if you miss the hole, it's going to come back to you. And if you got it in one, there was a horse up there that if you got it in one, the horse moved one length. If you got into two, the horse moved two lengths. You got into three, the horse moved three lengths. And you just keep rolling the ball against 12 different people to see who can win the horse race. Big, awesome game. I loved it. I loved it. We kept playing and had a good time with it. You know what the name of it was in Quito, Ecuador? You know what the name of that big, huge horse game was? I'm serious. This is as big as this choir loft. This whole wall is how big it was. It was massive. You know what the name of it was? Kentucky Derby. I loved it, too. I went to Val's Cousins. I said, that's a cool name, Kentucky Derby, isn't it? And they said, yeah. I said, you know what it is? They're like, no. I said, you know what? That's where we live. I said, Valeria and I live in Louisville, Kentucky. That's where the Kentucky Derby is. That's the biggest horse race in the world. It's awesome. It's huge. It's amazing. There's millions of dollars involved with it. It stops our whole city. The name of this game we're playing right here in Quito, Ecuador, is Kentucky Derby. And that's where we're from. I was so proud to say, we're from where the Kentucky Derby is. And even here in Ecuador, y'all don't know what the Kentucky Derby is, but you got a sign up saying Kentucky Derby. Let me tell you what that sign says. And so it is with our lives. And so it is with our church. And so it is with Moses. I got a sign over me that says, God's doing this. God is my banner. God is my life. He's my sustenance. He's the one that provides for me. We need to display it. Do you have a banner over you? What do you do when you can't handle the people? What do you do when you don't have what you need? And what do you do when you're being attacked? May we turn to Christ. The one who died for our sins. Be saved, be given life, and trust Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the book of Exodus. Thank You for a man like Moses that is an example to all of us. With all humility would say, the Lord is my banner. My banner, the sign over me. Father, I pray that You would make the people of First Baptist Fairdale proud of the salvation of the Lord, confident in the forgiveness of sins. And God, just like I was so thrilled to see that Kentucky Derby thing there. God, make us alive with the truth that our hand is upon the throne and you are our identity. You're our message. You are our banner. Oh, Father, move in our hearts now. Comfort us with the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.